0: I'm going to read the Bible right now if you have a church Bible that you collected at the front it's on page 1687 it comes from John's Gospel chapter 20 and we're going to read verses 24 to 31 John 20 starting at verse 24 now Thomas also known as Didymus one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came so the other disciples told him that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name
1: good morning it's good to be here on sunday hey let's pray and then we'll get into this passage heavenly father thank you that you are a good god Um, thank you that in contrast to many other places as jsh prayed before Uh, Thank you that we get to stop and celebrate Jesus. Uh, We pray this morning that we could have confidence in him who conquered death. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, do something amazing or if you see something amazing, how do you prove to people it's true? I think we all know the answer to that question. We pull out our phones out of our pocket and we take a photo of it or a video of it. This is something I've noticed that I've started doing. So on Monday, something that I enjoy doing is going fishing. And on Monday, uh, we went fishing at Stratty and hooked up to a few fish. And my first thought is, how am I going to take a photo of this, right? I'm not even thinking about how to get it in. I'm thinking about the light, the angles that I'm going to get it at, how to make it look big. That's my first thought, right? Because I need to prove to people that I got this fish, right? I need to do it. I think I enjoy taking photos of fish more than I actually enjoy fishing. But we know this is true, and I notice that I'm not the only one who does this anyway. Uh, I saw this thing on Hamish and Andy uh, a few, uh, I think it was last year. They had this show of Ed Sheeran, basically one-on-one with people. Ed Sheeran's a musician. And as people go in and watch this kind of intimate you know, pl- show of Ed Sheeran, just one-on-one, the first thing they do when they realize it's Ed Sheeran is they pull out their phone and take a photo of it or a video it, right? Because we know that in today's day and age, we need pictures or videos to prove that stuff happened. It's not for no reason the saying, pics or it didn't happen, was invented, right? A news article about a snake eating a crocodile is no good unless there is a video or a picture of a snake eating a crocodile like a couple of weeks ago. A video on YouTube about a giant chicken the size of a small horse goes viral because there is a chicken that is the size of a small horse on YouTube and you can go and you look at it, right? Like it's, we need pictures, we need videos to prove that stuff happened. But the reality is at the end of the day whether you believe that that stuff happened or not Doesn't really matter, right? Whether you think a snake can eat a crocodile, who cares about that? We live a long way from crocodiles, and I've convinced myself that those snakes don't exist here anyway. Whether you believe that chickens the size of horses actually exist doesn't actually matter at the end of the day. Even, right, you'd be crazy, but even if you think I didn't catch any fish, at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. But not everything is like that. Sometimes bold statements and bold claims in this world, whether we take them seriously or not, actually does matter. And one of those claims that is what Christians make on this day each year, right? It's no, there's no spoilers here. We celebrate that Jesus rose again. Everyone knows that, right? Even non-Christians know that. I was watching a footy show this week. They were talking about how Jesus rose again. I mean, not in a good way, but even they knew that that's what we claim. And so the question for us is: As we gather on this Sunday, on Easter Sunday, celebrating the claim that Jesus rose again, how do we know it's true? Because it's not exactly like Peter had an iPhone in his pocket, is it? Right? He didn't. He didn't video that. Mary didn't have a Samsung S8, she? You know, as the tomb came out, as the angels were sitting in front, of, that didn't happen. So, so how do we know without pictures or videos? How can we actually know that Jesus rose again? Now, interestingly enough, I don't know if you caught it, but in this passage, we have someone asking the same question. As we enter into John 20, into the Bible, we actually see Thomas is basically asking the same thing. If Jesus rose again, how do I know that's true? Prove it, he says. And so if you have your Bibles there, keep them open today. We're in John chapter 20, and we pick this up, asking the same question as Thomas. How do we know that Jesus rose again? We'll start at verse 24. Now, Thomas called didymus one of the 12 was not with the disciples when jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the lord but he said to them unless i see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side i will not believe it. so here we meet thomas or as his mates call him doubting thomas which is really what we've called him for 2000 years Doubting Thomas, who, when people said, the disciples said, Jesus rose again, he says, I don't think so, right? You're going to need to prove that to me. But to really understand what's going on here, we do need to understand what's happening in this passage, So, and, and even just before this. So on Good Friday, we know the story. Jesus died. Uh, he defeated sin on the cross, and he died. On Sunday, he rose again. Uh, he, he rose again. He defeated death. Mary, we see in chapter 20, goes to suss Jesus out, to check Jesus out in the grave, sees that Jesus isn't there. Angels appear to her, and you can catch this in chapter 20. Angels appear in front of her. She's not really worried about the angels. She just says, where is Jesus? Uh, She turns around. She sees someone lowing the the lawn and thinks that it's a gardener. Well, we do not know that he was mowing the lawn, but thinks that it's a gardener and it's actually Jesus turns around, tells the disciples, hey, he's not dead, I saw him. Uh, Jesus then appears to the disciples and the disciples then say to Thomas, we saw Jesus. That's the background of this story. Now, socially for a second here, I think we can feel kind of, uh, I don't know, sorry or empathise with Thomas here for a second. Because socially we know kind of what happens. So so I don't know if you've had that experience where five or six of your mates or even ten of your friends have all hung out without you one night. Maybe you had family, maybe you got sick, and you just couldn't hang out for whatever reason. You had to stay at home. Now, selfishly in that moment, we're all praying that nothing amazing happens, right? We're all praying deep down. I hope they don't have the story of a lifetime here. But as the disciples come to Thomas, well, that's what happened. They say, we saw Jesus. Jesus. You remember the guy that rose Lazarus back to life? You remember the guy we watched do miracles? Well, we actually saw him. And Thomas, for whatever reason, actually goes, nah, right? I don't believe it. Maybe he's just annoyed the fact that they had something good happen to them. We don't know. But but he does say, I doubt it. He does say, I'm not going to believe that unless I see Jesus. And from this, he gets this nickname, Doubting Thomas from this for 2,000 years gets this nickname Doubting Thomas. Now, I kind of feel like that's a little bit unfair. I mean, I don't know about you, maybe you think that's fair. Maybe in your friendship group, if someone does something, if they slip up in some moment, then yeah, they're gonna get a nickname for the rest of their lives. Um, I don't know, maybe you've got some nickname that's stuck with you from grade five, some random thing that you did back then and that's just stuck with you over the years and you feel like this nickname's fair. But I think that actually as we read this and actually as we see Thomas, it's a little bit unfair. And I think it's unfair for a couple of reasons. The first one is calling him Doubting Thomas makes him look like doubting is actually a terrible thing. It insinuates that having hard questions is a horrible thing. And the problem with that is that actually it's not. right? Like I can empathise with him because I've had hard questions. I've had doubts. I feel like we all have. I feel like there's been a point where we've all asked hard questions about our faith. And something that I love about Christianity is that we don't just shut down our doubts. When we have hard questions, it's not as if our go-to is stick our head in the sand and pretend that those don't exist. In fact, the thing that I love about Christianity is we go after hard questions. We try and answer hard questions. So, so I can empathise with him on the doubts. And something powerful that I heard a few years ago It's just the fact that God's not actually scared of your doubts. He's God, right? Like, like He's God. He made the world. He made you. He created you. He created your brain. God isn't shaking in heaven because you're using what He made in you. Like, God's not afraid that you're using the brain that He created in your head. God's not scared of doubts. God's not shaking because we have the answer, we have the question that's gonna unravel all of Christianity. God's not scared of doubts. So, so I can empathize here with Thomas and I don't think we should see this doubting as such a bad thing. But the, the second reason I can empathize with him is just simply because of the nature of what he's questioning. Right? The, the disciples come back and say to him, Jesus is alive. Now, now we gotta recognize he doesn't live in Brisbane where we have a weekend celebrating the claims that Christians make that Jesus rose again, this is the first time he's heard anything like this. And he knows the reality is we know that people just don't come back from the dead. And so when Thomas hears about this, he goes, well, I need some proof about that. I need to know that that's actually true. Before he makes this statement that I'm all in on this, he wants to know it's true. And that's a good thing, right? Because he recognizes the weight of the resurrection. He recognises that, and we need to recognise that as well. If Jesus rises from the dead, it changes everything. Our whole faith hinges on Easter Sunday. Paul said it in Corinthians. He said, man, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christians of all people are to be pitied. Right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be doing something else with our Sunday mornings. But if he did, it's a game changer. It changes everything because what it does is it validates all Jesus' statements. His big statements, even like what we catch in 31, where we see that it's only by believing that you'll have life. But this is something we've seen from Jesus the whole time in John. In John 1, he said, I've come to bring light and life. John 3.16, we saw on Friday, God loved the world. He sent his son. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In John 6, Peter says, where else are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. In John 14, and it could be worth checking this out when you get home, Thomas again asks the question, how do we get to the Father? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Massive statements, right? If someone is claiming such big things, you need some proof that that's actually true. Thomas gets this. We need to see this as well. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Jesus is a liar. But if he did, well, it changes things. It actually changes everything. It proves what Jesus said to be true. And so before Thomas goes all in, he wants to see himself. He wants to know. And as we read this, I think as we see Thomas's questions, it makes sense logically, right? That actually makes sense But it's also a good thing for us. It's a good thing that Thomas is put here. right? I mean, just capture the weight of that. The Bible is putting in a story of a skeptic. It's a good thing for us because it shows us that Thomas isn't just believing in Jesus because he grew up in a Christian home. He doesn't just believe in Jesus because he grew in a, up in a Western country where he could actually celebrate Jesus. He didn't just believe in Jesus because he needs a crutch to get through life because he's weak and not strong enough. No, he wants facts. He wants proof. And that's a good thing for us to see. So, so what happens to Thomas? What happens? Well, let's pick up the story in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Don't you love that, right? I reckon for a whole week, he didn't leave their side. He's with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. What happens to doubting Thomas, the one who asks a pretty simple and normal question? Does Jesus rock up and rage at him, get angry at him, rant at him for not... Instantly believing what he does? Does he jump on Facebook and just long blogs after long posts to, to yell at Thomas because he didn't just sign up? Re- no, of course not. Jesus rocks up and lovingly, graciously says, Thomas, look at me. Now, now, the crazy thing, like, so what happens, uh, they're in a room, uh, it's locked, they're scared for their life. That's. I mean, that makes sense that the door's locked and Jesus just appears in the room. There is the natural question of how does Jesus break into that room? I mean, is he just some sort of genius thief that gets in the front door and they didn't know? Does he get in the window or lowered through the roof, some sort of weird thing like that? How does Jesus get in the locked room? But we do have to recognize that on a day like today, that's not the biggest thing that we're claiming Jesus did, is it? I mean, if he can rise from the dead, I I don't think a room's going to really break the camel's back in that sense. So he appears in this room, appears to Thomas, and just lovingly, graciously says, look, Thomas, I'm here appeals to his senses I mean apart from taste you get all of that so, so Thomas sees Jesus and then he touches Jesus looks at the hands and the, the side he can smell that there's no sense of death around there's no stench of death he can uh, he sees him he touches him he hears from him he's got the, the senses he, Jesus appeals to his senses and, and the penny drops for Thomas and this skeptic says my Lord and my God amazing right? I mean, that's one of the most unbelievable experiences I think anyone's really experienced in this world. Jesus appears in front of him. Can you imagine this? Like, imagine you go home today, you lock your house, and then all of a sudden Jesus just appears in your kitchen. The one you saw die a few days earlier. The one you watched who had nails in his hands, nails in his feet. The one you saw beaten and mocked and whipped and flogged, the one you saw spat at as he hung on the cross, people hurled insults at him. You watched this all happen. The one as you stood by with his mother as he watched his son, her son die on the cross. The one you stood there looking at helpless with the disciples. The one you watched breathe his last. And just to make sure they put a spear in his side one you saw taken down and wrapped in kilograms of linen and put in a tomb with like a two-ton rock in front of it when you saw an army of people stand in front to guard his body as if they were scared that some army would come and get Jesus out this is the one you saw you witnessed him die and then here he is in front of you Jesus is there in front of you I mean, it's an amazing experience for Thomas. And the, the penny drops for this person that wasn't going to sign up instantly. And he says, my Lord and my God. It's recognition, man, you've got. I'm going to follow you and live for you. You're the only one who can save me. I'll, I'll trust you. You're the only one who can give me life. He says, my Lord and my God. And amazing for Thomas. It's great for Thomas, isn't it? I and mean, wouldn't we love to have that experience? But what about for us? Because there is the reality that this morning none of us are Thomas. Where do we fit into this and how can we know? Well, the crazy thing is that as Jesus appears lovingly and graciously to Thomas, he actually thinks about us. He, he speaks about us. I don't know if you saw it, but he says, he says to Thomas, you believe me because you see me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now, just quickly, we do have to address what blessed blessed is. Because I think we naturally think that blessed is just we get lots of what the world is chasing. Right? And that makes sense because we live in this world. And so as we look around, we get thousands of messages each day. That to have a full and a good life, we need money and a job and a nice car and a home loan that's secure and all that kind of stuff. And so when we think what blessed is, we just apply that to us and say, okay, so God's going to give us lots of that. Right, to be blessed, I'm going to have a nice job and a nice car and a nice house and lots of money and all that kind of stuff. Right, the same things that our neighbours are pursuing, but we get it from God in some kind of weird way. The, the problem is, though, when Jesus says, blessed are those who believe me and have not seen me, he's not talking about more stuff. Right? Unfortunately, but actually fortunately, if we think about it, he's talking about something better than that. And it's acceptance. It's this idea of acceptance before God the life that Jesus has on offer, this purpose-filled life and this hope-driven life. Jesus is saying, this is available for those who believe in me. And as we sit here today, the reality is Jesus is actually speaking about us. He's got your face on his mind here, your name on his tongue, because we aren't the people that are going to see Jesus. That's that's probably true. We can bank on that. We're not going to see Jesus. And we're not going to have a photo of, of Jesus. We're not going to have a video of Jesus. But, but what Jesus is saying here is even though we don't see Jesus, even though we don't have the picture or the video of Jesus, we can still know that he rose again. And we can still trust in Jesus. We still will have enough. right? We won't see Jesus. We're not going to get the picture or the video. But we do have enough to know that only in him can we have life. And, and, and that's through written history. Right? Like, I mean, we recognize, don't we, that if pictures and videos prove that stuff happened, then history didn't exist before, I think it's 1826 or something like that. Right? That's when the first photo was taken. And it was taken of, I think, a a glass in France. I mean, what does that prove anyway? We know that you don't need a picture or a video to prove that history happened, that stuff actually happened. And so in written history, we can actually have confidence that Jesus rose again and that in him we can have life we can have confidence as we sit here this morning whether we're christians or we're not christians or whether we're even skeptics like thomas and one of the best examples of this i think is by a guy called lee strobel who writes an article and it's my favorite article online i don't say that too lightly i go to this all the time ask our youth right i seriously it's my week in week out i go to this um but the article is called how easter killed my atheism we posted it on friday on our facebook page Um, but it's an incredible article. And this is what the story is. So um, basically what happens, Lee Strobel was an uh, atheist and his wife was an agnostic. And he said he got the worst news one day when his wife came home and said that she was a Christian. His words, The, the most horrible news that he got. And so what he decided to do was that for two years he would go about trying to prove her wrong, trying to prove her wrong, to prove that Christianity was a lie And he knew that it hinged on the resurrection. So he went about that, right, to prove that the resurrection was false. And so for two years, he looks at the historical data. And his words are, he says, one by one, as his questions were answered, his atheism began to buckle. And so he asked the question, did Jesus exist? And did Jesus die? He says, even Christians and non-Christian historians say that Jesus did non christians historians say that jesus really died was jesus a legend was the story about his resurrection was that just made up and, and a legend well historians actually say that it took two generations for legend to actually evolve and we've got within months accounts of jesus being alive so it can't be legend was jesus buried did he em- was the tomb empty he says well actually historians point out that christians and non-christians knew where the tomb was and then Jews went about trying to pin on the disciples that, Jesus, that they stole Jesus' body. So if the Jews are doing that, they know the tomb's empty. And then you've got to ask the question, would the disciples really lie, uh, really die for fabricating a lie? Right? So he says one by one, his, his questions began to dissolve. He said, did people really see Jesus? He says, we've got nine sources inside and outside of the Bible that say that the apostles said they saw Jesus. Right, he says, Was it mythology? Was it a legend? He goes on and on. You can read it on, on the Facebook page. It's there or just Google it. And then eventually he says, After a while, my atheism began to buckle. And then he says this this is the quote. He says, In the end, after I had thoroughly investigated the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism than to be a follower of Jesus. That's massive. He's saying based on the historical evidence, right? You see what he's saying? Not because my parents were Christians, not because I grew up in a Christian home, not because the Western society has fed that somehow into me. He says, because of my historical, the historical evidence and my thoroughly investigation, thoroughly investigated issues. I don't know how to say that. But because of this, he says, my atheism began to buckle. It take more faith for me to hold on to that than to trust in Jesus. The reality is today we're not going to see Jesus, not until we die or we see him or when he returns. We're not going to get a picture of Jesus or a video of Jesus. But as we meet on Easter Sunday, we can still be confident that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, we can be confident that it's only in him life is found true life real life a purpose-filled life and a hope-driven life we can be confident of the fact that jesus is alive and that's actually how john finishes in verse 30 john says jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book don't you love that right say man jesus is so much stuff but the leather skin just wouldn't capture it all in 21 he says actually if i did right, all the books in the world would capture what jesus did But verse 31, he says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have enough to know that Jesus rose again. And if he rose again, we can know that the pursuit of real life is only found in Jesus. We won't find life anywhere else. A purpose-filled life where we have a reason to wake up in the morning and a hope-driven life. We can be confident of this fact. And John says these are written so you can know that life is found in Jesus. And so this morning, let's grab a hold of this life. Let's let's be confident in Jesus' resurrection and grab a hold of this life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're here because it's Easter Sunday. And that's what you do. You come to church. Maybe you're still wrestling with whether you can trust in Jesus or not. Firstly, we love having you here. I mean, we do. We hope you feel connected and welcomed um, but more than that, we hope that you can see why we're Christians. It's not because we, we we're weak and we needed something to help us through the hard times. It's because of the facts that Jesus rose again. And, and if you leave here and you're going to continue to let Christianity slide, then please, I mean, please continue to wrestle with did Jesus really rise again? And if he didn't, what happened to the body? Let's ask those hard questions. Right? We want to. We want to answer hard questions. We don't want to hide from them. Maybe you're here, though, this morning, and you realise that this morning you've let go of this life that Jesus has to offer. Maybe you had this life at one point, but for whatever reason, maybe it was questions, maybe it was hard times, maybe it was suffering, maybe it was the church, and you let go of this life. I hope again this morning, as we come back to the core of our faith, the hinge of our faith, this is an encouragement to come back to the life that we can have in Jesus. Or maybe this morning you're here because you love Jesus and you're confident of the resurrection and you're here to celebrate the fact that he rose again. And if that's you, well, let's celebrate that we can have confidence. And let's remember in this confidence that we can have this life, a purpose-filled life, a hope-driven life. And as we leave here, let's hold on to this life And more than that, let's live this life in the confidence that Jesus is alive. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Christianity isn't based on a dream. We thank you that it's not based on a vision, but it's based on history. We thank you for people like Thomas, and we thank you that he asked hard questions. And we thank you that as we look into this this morning, that we can be confident of Jesus' resurrection. Thank you that this stuff is recorded for us. Thank you that even non-Christians recorded stuff like this for us. We pray that we would have confidence in this, we'd have confidence in this, and that we'd live the life that you've called us to. A purpose-driven life where we have a reason to wake up in the morning. It's Jesus. And a hope-driven life where we know that even if we lose everything, we still have Jesus. We pray that we'd hold on to this in the confidence of our risen Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.